Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Pastor John Mark Caton joins us again to continue our walk through the book of James. Today we will talk about the good deeds that God wants us to do, and we will look at one of the most debated passages in Scripture. Now, let's hear from Pastor John Mark. Well, well, all right, guys. Hey, we have been in the book of James, and we come to a great passage today. Uh, it, it's actually one of the most misunderstood uh, passages in all of God's Word. And so if we looked at where we've been in the book of James, if you're not following the Men's Bible Study podcast, uh, we're talking about uh, God having uh, stuff for us to do. And uh, you fired up about this morning? Say, I'm fired up. All right, because God's got stuff for us to do. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've looked at the idea that God has stuff for every one of us to do. Uh, I've got some growing up to do. How many of you have some growing up you still need to do? Yeah, we all need to do a little growing up. Um, I've got stuff I need to learn. We looked at that. How many of you got things you need to learn? All right, I need to get better at uh, a lot of things. Then we talked, then Hill House took a couple of passages um, that were forgettable. And then, uh, no, I'm joking. Then I talked to, we talked about last week, man, you got to get along with some tough people. How many of you know when it comes to church, even though we're the body of Christ, there are people in the church we just struggle to get along with. That's what we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. And today I want to talk to you about this idea that we all have some good deeds to do. And we come to this passage that is one of the most debated passages in all Scripture. It goes all the way really back to the Reformation. Martin Luther didn't like the book of James. And he wanted to eject the book of James because of the topic that we're talking about tonight. And so I'm going to, uh, today, and, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of a thought on this, is when it comes to the idea of why James did, uh, my, why Martin Luther didn't like the book of James, it was all wrapped around the idea of justification by faith. It is that when you read this verse, it seems to lean towards a works-based salvation. So let me just read this verse to you, man. Here's the critical question. What kind of faith saves you? If you just want to ask that question, what kind of faith saves you? Is it faith alone? Is it works alone? Or is it a combination of faith and works? That's a critical question. And so here's the passage in James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, what good, this is James, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? That's just a question, right? He says, listen, you tell me you have faith, but you don't have any works. That faith, can it save you? Now, a lot of people say, absolutely, it's faith alone, right? I mean, think about uh, the thief on the cross. How many, you remember when the thief on the cross was there and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember, the thief on the cross came down. He walked the aisle of the church that next Sunday morning. He was baptized the next week and started working with children's ministry. You all remember that? <laughs> he like died all dead, right? He's like all dead and did nothing. But Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? We can look at some other people that did some things. You can look at Paul's writing. They did some things. They planted churches. They went on some missionary journey. But later in the life, uh, Paul says, yeah, uh, they weren't really saved. Uh, they left us, right? And so when it comes to this passage, a lot of people debate the meaning of this passage. 
And Martin Luther, who was the one who started the Reformation, really struggled with this passage. Why? Because when Martin Luther was starting the Reformation, really to say, man, we got to get back to the Bible and back to what it means, he was surrounded by a Catholicism that was very heavy on works and indulgences and confession and mass and penance and all of those things and church tradition that, hey, what we say goes, forget the Bible. And so Martin Luther said, no, we're not going to do that. And then he all of a sudden read the book of James and went, whoa, um, and came to this verse. And he goes, wait, I've just led the church to reform itself and leave that. And here you have James saying, can such a faith save them? There's great debate. I will tell you, if you go look um, at, at Martin Luther's Bible when he started translating uh, uh, the Bible from uh, Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic into the German language, he didn't even want to put the book of James in, in the Bible. He wanted, that was his answer. He, he, as a matter of fact, calls James's work a straw argument. He says, James just missed it. And I will just tell you, just give you a little, I'm going to play my hand. Really what happened is because of his context and his culture, it was actually Martin Luther that missed what James was trying to say. And see, Martin Luther was trying to interpret James through the eyes of Paul instead of interpreting James through the eyes of James. And so culture and context matters a lot. And so as we look through this passage, how many of you remember, or you just guess, uh, in the Reformation there were five solas. You ever heard of those solas? Sola means alone. Somebody tell me what some of the five solas were that came out of the Reformation. Sola what? Sola, sola Christus, Christ alone. I think, that, I think that's what it is. Shout out loud. That's one of them. Christ alone. Huh? Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. Give me another one. Sola Gratia. Grace alone. All right? Faith alone. For God's glory alone comes salvation. Those were kind of the five solas of uh, the Reformation. That it was it, it, because by then, by the, by the 1600s, uh, uh, the church had added yes, Scripture plus what we say. All right, they had they had said salvation comes through Jesus and faith plus what we tell you to do. Does that make sense? So part of what Martin Luther did is he came back and said, you know, we're going to cut off all that other stuff. And there's a bunch of alones. Our sole source of authority is Scripture alone. Our sole way of salvation is faith alone, by grace alone, through Jesus alone. And the glory for salvation, salvation He's not talking about that you and I, when we serve in the church and God does great things, man, we see Paul says gives, God gets glory in the church. He's talking about salvation alone, that God alone gets the glory for salvation that you and I don't. Does that make sense? And so what had happened is that in that day, the, uh, the Catholic church had become so works-based and so much indulgence. They had developed this idea that was non-biblical uh, of purgatory. How many have ever been in purgatory? How many of you are married? 
those are two completely separate uh, questions. I was just wanting to know, so don't go home and write. Just, just two, two thoughts. Um, but they said, you know, if you've got un Uncle Billy Bob and, uh, you know, he hadn't gone to confession enough or he hadn't taken mass enough and they truly believed that their math, the bread and the Catholic mass was transubstantiation, that it actually changed substances and became the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that offered you forgiveness and salvation. So what they would say is if Billy Bob rolled through his life and he cussed a little bit on the job and he didn't go to church enough and he didn't go to confession enough and he didn't give enough, uh, uh, enough alms to the church and he didn't do all of those things, that listen, when he died, he had just kind of this lingering cloud, this Eeyore cloud of sin that he had to deal with before he made it to heaven. And they developed this idea of a place that is not in the Bible called purgatory. How many of you ever heard of purgatory? It's just a place for you and I to linger around kind of like a, a, a sin crock pot where it just cooks out of us, all right? And depending on how bad you are, you have to stay there longer. So what they taught is, listen, if I knew Uncle Billy Bob wasn't that great of a guy and he probably hadn't gone to church enough and he probably hadn't given enough money to the church and whatever, but I still wanted my Uncle Billy Bob to go to heaven, guess what the church would do? They would sell me an indulgence that I could say, you know, they would say, you know, all right, he went to church every once in a while. He was a Christmas Easter guy. And they said, you know, if you'll give five grand, we can probably move him on out of purgatory into heaven. Just got to give it to the church. And by the way, it'll be good works for you. So that's why when Martin Luther showed up, he, he saw all this stuff and he goes, we're going back to the Bible. Salvation is going to be about faith alone. It's not faith plus works. It's not scripture plus what the church teaches. It's not grace plus something else. It's not Jesus plus the church that gets you saved. It, it, it's, it's not your glory because you've earned salvation. He goes, it's God's glory alone. So that was the context and that was a setting. And so all of a sudden, if you think about that, when Martin Luther comes and reads these words, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save him? We're going to read here in a second. He actually says, a faith without deeds is dead. Can you imagine? So he started this reformation to break away from a church that had become a works-based church. And all of a sudden he comes to read the book of James and he goes, yeah, we got a problem here. And the problem is he read, he read James through the eyes of Paul instead of James through the eyes of James. And we're going to see some clear distinctions here. When Paul talks about being justified by faith, he's talking about our salvation being justified by God. When James uses the word justified, he's talking about being justified in the eyes of man. See, James is talking about how do other people know I'm saved? Is there anyone here, how many of you at least assume I'm saved or at least on the way or headed for a decent, decent stint in purgatory, right? One of those, right? You, 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 do you know, have you ever seen in my heart? Can you see my salvation in my heart? No. You don't know if my justification between me and God is real. How can you at least potentially assume it's real? By what I do. By what I do. Does that make sense? And so James was actually attacking the people that said they were Christians but didn't do anything to substantiate their Christianity. Didn't give any evidence, right? So James is actually not even talking about the justification of salvation between me and God. Paul always talked about the up of justification. 
James talked about the visible part of justification. Does that make sense? And so Martin Luther, because of his context, and let me tell you what, when he, when he rose up against the Catholic Church, he was beaten down. He had to go hide in a castle uh, up in Germany, and luckily the princes uh, uh, in Germany protected him because the Catholic Church, what do you think they were going to do to him? He was, they were going to martyr him. They were going to kill him. And so when he started reading the book of James, he struggled with it, all right? You say, well, why did he struggle with it so much? Well, I told you the context. The Catholic Church was very, very emphatic that if you're going to be saved, you've got to go to Mass, you've got to eat, eat the sacraments, you've got to go to confession, you've got to give indulgences, you've got to pay for indulgences, you've got to pay for money. I mean, they wanted you to do that, all right? That was big time if you were going to get to heaven. So it's faith plus works, and you had to have a lot of works. Now, as you think about that, that setting, Roman Catholic Church hyper-focused on works. Now, let me just give you a quick timeline. If you didn't know, on October the 31st of 1517, you might want to write that down, all right? That's when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, all right? October 13, 1517. You say, well, what set that up? Martin Luther had been preaching out of a specific book, and it was his favorite book. A lot of people think Martin Luther's favorite book was Romans. It wasn't. It was the book of Galatians. What do you know? So in October of, uh, uh, of 1516, a year before he nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the church in Wittenberg, one year in October of 1516, he started preaching through the book and giving lectures, is what they called them in that day, through the book of Galatians. What do we know about the Galatian church? They were all about works. They were trying to add works to salvation. And so let me just, as he's preaching through the book of Galatians, here's what kind of set up the 95 Thesis. We're going to put it up there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians. This is Paul talking to the Galatians. Who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He says, I would like to learn from you just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit of God by works of the law or by believing what you heard? You see what, James, you see what Paul is asking Galatians. All right, did you gain your salvation through works or did you gain it by faith hearing what you believe? He says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you trying to finish by means of the flesh? Is that clear to y'all? He's asking the Galatians, what were the Galatians trying to do? They were a bunch of Jews who had gotten saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but now they were trying to go back to all the Old Testament rituals, the, the dietary uh, uh, restrictions, and they were talking to the Gentiles who had gotten saved and looked at them and said, and y'all have got to do the same thing. If you're, a Gentile, if you're a Jew and you want to eat a certain way on a certain day, it's okay. But imagine these Gentiles roll in. They get saved, but it happens to be that the Jewish believers are running the church, and they say, yes, it's salvation in Jesus Christ plus the works of the wall. Does that make sense? And so Paul is writing to the Galatians. He's going, guys, 
You started in the flesh. Do you, uh, you started in the spirit. Do you think you're going to finish in the flesh? See, that's, that's Paul's question. So here it is. Martin Luther in 1516, from October through middle of the year, 1517, he's preaching through the book of Galatians, and Paul is literally tearing their, them a new one because they're placing all these restrictions so someone can complete their salvation. And that was the context of then Martin Luther saying, that's the church right now. The church has become the Galatian leaders. And so he starts writing down these 95 theses. I am against this. I am against this because this isn't biblical. You don't find this anywhere. This is salvation isn't faith plus something, faith plus something. And this is the book he was reading now. Continue to read verse 4. He says, have you experienced so much? We're in Galatians 3. Have you experienced so much if, it, um, if, it really, if in reality it's all vain? He says, so again I ask you, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard. Notice what he says, verse 6. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what is he doing? He says, what's the illustration? Abraham was justified by faith. Does that make sense? So that's that. And Martin Luther is sitting there struggling. He says, man, I'm fighting against the church. It's all about works. And sure enough, he goes and reads James who says, man, faith without works is dead. And Martin Luther says, man, I am basically imprisoned for the fact that I'm telling everybody the Bible doesn't teach that. But here's a, here's a couple context clues. If you look in this passage... Paul is specifically talking, he uses it several times, do you think you're saved by faith plus the works of the law? What was Paul fighting against? Salvation plus a return to Judaism. Does that make sense? James is not talking about the works of the law. He's talking about your good deeds as evident of your faith. Does that make sense? But in context, Martin Luther struggles with this. And so he literally, when he translated the Bible, he wanted to leave out of our Protestant Bible. He wanted James out. Others convinced him to leave it in. So here's, he comes back. Here's the funny thing is he comes back. He loves this book so much. So uh, in October 1516 uh, through the middle of the year of 1517, he preaches through Galatians. He all of a sudden out of that develops his 95 thesis. He nails it on the door of Wittenberg. The Reformation starts, which is, by the way, we are all grateful for that, right? Because there's, not, there's more than one church. There's, we're part of the Reformation, the five solas, Scripture alone, Jesus alone, faith alone, grace alone for God's glory alone. And so here's the beautiful thing. So in 1519, Martin Luther loves Galatians so much, but he's still under attack. He goes back and preaches on it again. And in the commentary from 1519, uh, there is something about Martin Luther that uh, he, he kind of had a humble brag. How many of you know what a humble brag is? All right, in his commentary from 1519, here's what he says. He says, in these days, 1519, I have babbled forth some trifling observation about the indulgences. That's, that's his humble brag about the 95 Thesis. I've babbled forth a little bit of stuff about the indulgences and the church. 
And so notice the context. So Paul is saying you're not saved to the Galatians by faith plus the works of Judaism. All right? James is saying you're not saved unless probably there's some evidence of your salvation. Two different things, all right? Because I'm going to show you here in a second, Paul does also say you are saved by faith, but there's stuff for us to do, right? Paul says that over and over again. But so sometimes you need to understand context matters. The context of the battle, had it been left up to Martin Luther immediately in the translation of the Bible, because of the battle he was going through, he would have left out the book of James. All right? So let's look at the potential problem. He thinks that... Uh, James thinks, or Martin Luther thinks, that Paul says justification is by faith alone. And he thinks James says faith without works is dead. All right? That's the potential problem. Let me just tell you why it's not a problem. If you look back, it turns out if you look in the New Testament, James and Paul were friends. James was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. If you go look at Acts chapter 15, all right, the Jerusalem Council... Paul and Barnabas come back to the Jerusalem council and it says they talk with James about the gospel they're preaching to the Gentiles and it says James and Peter and others gave us the right hand of fellowship that our preaching was in line with God's word. So James and Paul uh, were, uh, were not uh, enemies with each other. They were friends. So actually we got the right hand of fellowship. Now, Peter and Paul battled a little bit. Is it shocking at all that Peter would have a battle with anybody? So Peter and Paul didn't like each other, but James and Paul, they are actually friends as you journey along the way. They were uh, they're friends, not foes. Uh, let, me, let me give you another thought. Man, they thought they were inconsistent because Paul's question was, how can a person be saved? And Paul's answer was, it's, it's faith plus no legalism no sacrifices, no Jewish laws. And James' question is, how do you know if someone's saved? Does that make sense? Paul's asking the question, how is someone saved? James is asking the question, how can you tell if someone's saved? All right? So as we think about it, let's journey. Let me just show you this. You think, well, do works matter? Well, yeah. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. Remember these words of Paul? He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not faith plus works, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. What does Paul say? Not by works so that no one can boast. Paul is writing long before Martin Luther is battling the Catholic Church and they're hyper-focused on works and indulgences and mass and stuff like that. But James is very clear. He says, not by works so that no one can boast. He says, it's faith alone, right? Where do works come in? Keep reading. Look at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What is he saying? That's when he's answering the same question James is asking. How can you tell if someone's saved? Well, you could probably look at their works. If their whole life, if all their conversation is filled with the deeds of the flesh, you could probably say they're of the flesh. All right? He never encourages to walk around and begin to grade people's salvation. You take them at their word. Someone says, man, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm this, I'm that. But how do you really know? It's what you see, the visible evidence, right? 
So when we come to this most evaded passage, faith without works is dead, understand that Paul and James are asking two different questions. Paul is saying, how is a person saved? James is asking, how can you tell if a person is saved? So that, that helps you understanding the interpretation. So here's the question. Here's the critical question. All right, let's jump back. So remember, James is asking the question. We're just going to continue to read the context. He says, can such a faith save him? Verse 14. Jump into verse 15 and notice this a crucial connection. How can we show an invisible faith? Well, we make it visible. How do you make it visible? Not simply by what you say, but also by what you do. Verse 15. He's talking about compassion. He's talking about this faith without works that is dead. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. So this is James giving a specific example. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? So what, what is James saying? If all I do is say I'm a Christian, say I'm a Christian, I love people, we're compassionate about people, but we're never doing anything for people. He goes, what kind of faith is that? Does that make sense? He goes, there's no evidence of your faith. You know what he's really saying? He's saying a, a compassion that isn't compassionate isn't compassionate at all. He's saying if you look at someone who's freezing and you have a jacket to spare and you don't give it to them and you say, hey, I hope you get warm. He goes, what kind of faith is that, right? If you see someone that is hungry and you've got food to spare and they're sitting there starving and you don't give them the food, he says, well, what kind of faith is that? He says, you haven't been compassionate. You haven't cared. You haven't loved. He says, man, if you really love God, there's going to be vis visible evidence of it. So just continue to read. He gives, you, he gives you another example. Look in verse 17. He says, in the same way, or just in the same way, he says, faith by itself, if it is accompanied by action, is not accompanied by action, is dead. All right? So what's he saying? He's saying, man, there has to be some outward sign that there was an inward change. He says, if there's no action, he goes, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do or by my deeds, right? They say, you show me your faith without deeds. Somebody come up here, if you can, and show me that inward heart change faith. Can you do it? You can't show it to me without deeds. He's not saying you get saved by deeds. He says, but if you've truly been saved, by the grace, grace and the love of God. Man, we should all look back uh, at our lives and say, God's an awesome God. And as a result, when I think about God's goodness to me, how can I be anything but good to others? Does that make sense? Do you under, are you tracking him? So he's saying, he's not asking what Paul, Paul was saying, how can a person be saved? James is saying, how can you tell if a person is being saved? And, that, and that's his thought as you. He says, show me your faith, in, in verse 18, without deeds, I will show you my faith by what I do. He says, man, you ought to be, be able to visibly inspect my faith, not by looking in my heart, but by seeing what I do. Now, let's just continue to read the context. Just go to the very next verse, verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God, even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish man, do, um, uh, do you want evidence that faith without deed is useless? Look at the demons. 
What is he saying? Why do we use them? He says, well, they believe. What do they believe? That God is God. That Jesus is Jesus. Are demons saved? No. How do you know they're not saved? Because they're deeds. They're always looking to destroy people, split families. Man, they are. Does that make sense? So he gives an example. He says, how do you know a demon's not saved? Look at what he does. They can have belief. They can know something. There are some people I believe truly, and my prayer is this is not one of you guys, that know some things about God, but you've never put your faith and trust in God. But I also believe 100%, although what you do after you put your faith in God does not complete your salvation, that's a Catholic theology, all right? That you've got to keep earning your salvation along the way so you don't lose it. He goes, however, at the same time, I do believe if there's a true life change that happens in you, that I will see evidences of it along the way. Does that make sense? That, it, it, that there, your, your faith... You shouldn't have to talk about it for me to go, I think that dude's a Christian. Now, in some of your lives, I would do that very little, right? Yeah, from time to time, right? But people, let me ask you a question. When you head into the office today, do people look at you and go, you know, there's just something about that dude. He, he hadn't talked about his faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't talk about going to church. But, you know, from time to time, I just see a little Jesus show up, right? That's what James is talking about. He says, man, if someone says they have a faith, but they never have a deed, they probably weren't saved. They probably weren't saved. All right, let's just continue to read. And he says, he says they're fake Christians. Look at verse 21. He says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered, now by us, righteous for what he did when he offered his son, son Isaac? So now notice, Paul does in fact connect faith and deeds together. What did he say? He says, wasn't Abraham considered righteous by what he did? Right? So Martin Luther just missed a little bit of it because of his context. That Paul was saying you could really tell Abraham believed by what he did. What did he do? He went to offer his son up Isaac as a sacrifice. Why? Because he was demonstrating in a visible way his faith in God. So you say, Pastor, are, are they in contradiction to each other? No. Next time you come to this passage, remember this. Paul was asking how a man would be saved between him and God. Faith alone. James was asking how can you tell if someone is saved? By visible ev evidence. Does that make sense? Two different things. Hi, just, just how can you tell if something's fake? How many of you, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever owned, I, I owned one at one point, uh, a fake Rolex? How many of you have ever owned a fake Rolex? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Uh, years ago, back when I was in the brokerage business, uh, they sent us to New York and the Twin Towers for training and stuff like that. Sure enough, I'm rolling down the street, and uh, you can go to these areas. Uh, I don't remember if it was Chinatown or whatever. And, and you can walk down these streets, and literally these people would sell you fake Rolexes. How many of you? So did anybody ever buy one on the streets of uh, New York? I did. I bought one on the streets. I said, man, yeah, I can do that. 50 bucks or something like that. And I wore it a little bit. How can you, how can you tell? I know some of y'all, how many of you have a real Rolex? How many of you have a real one? Okay, there you go. By the way, I'm not anti-real Rolexes. Uh, but if you look at a fake Rolex, it has these exact same design. It has the same look. It has the same band. How do you know it's a fake Rolex?
Somebody, how do you tell? How do you tell? That's right. You look at the second hand. That's all you got. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. It doesn't matter how many jewels are around it. A Rolex has a smooth action with the second hand. A cheap one will go tick, 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 just like the watch you have. You can look at it and see it. You know what he, you know what James is basically saying? You want to see someone, you want to see evidence of someone's faith? Just watch the way they tick. That's not in the Bible. You know, I think I'd get a clap out of that or something like that. Now, here's one that maybe talking about things that are fake. Here's one that most of you guys are probably more familiar. How many of you have bought your wife a cubic zirconia? Okay, I wouldn't have raised my hand right there. I, I, just, I just want you to know. All right. What is that? A fake diamond, right? How can you tell if a, if a rock is a diamond or a CZ? Okay, the best way to tell, a lot of people think, well, I've got to get a loop and I've got to look at it. Nope. The best way to tell if something, if a rock is a CZ, if you will pick up that rock, shine a light through it, if it is a diamond, it will cast off brilliant reflections that are all white. If you shine in a light through a CZ, a fake diamond, it will come through as a rainbow. See, the best way to tell if something is fake or a rock is fake is not to sit there with a loop and to look at it close. Just shine a light through it. And there will be visible evidence of whether it's the real thing or the wrong thing. And that's what James is saying. Let the light shine on someone's life. See what they say. See what they do. See how they act. And you'll know if they're real or they're fake. He goes, you see someone rolling through life? Just watch how they tick. Watch how they tick. They just seem to be in a smooth walk with God, loving God in church. And guys, at the same point, I want you to know, you know me. It's not always going to be perfect, right? But man, there ought to be a consistent pattern of us saying, I want to pursue what God wants me to pursue. I don't want to pursue what I want to pursue. So James just simply says, if someone says they have faith, Rolex, but their ticket ain't right, probably fake. James is saying, you know what? If someone says they're the real diamond and you shine the light, and the light coming through isn't a clear, bright, white light, but it's a rainbow mixture of this religion and that religion and no religion. They're probably fake. Does that make sense? So let me just continue to read on. Let me just read his context. I don't want you to, and by the way, we're going to hurry. So James chapter 2, verse 21, he says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous by what he did? Notice James, uh, Paul does connect what you do and believe with what, what, you, what you believe with what you do. By what he did when he offered up uh, Isaac at the altar, he goes, you see that faith? And his action were working together. What do you see in that verse? 
you see faith and action were working together. Does that make sense? Paul doesn't discount works altogether. But he says works are a great demonstration of your faith. Does that make sense? So guys, as you read this passage, don't get confused when you're over in the book of James that you're going, oh, I always thought salvation was by faith. James would say it absolutely is by faith. But the way others will tell you have salvation that is by faith is by what you do, the evidence of your salvation. Continue to read on. And, and his faith was made complete or proved by what he did. In other words, Abraham could have looked at Sarah all his life and said, you know what? I, I trust in God. I believe in God. Uh, God's called us to a new land. He's taken us to a different place. He's going to give us a promised son. And she goes, great. What are we going to do about it? We're going to stay right here. We're not going to go. No, it says when he decided to go, that proved, that demonstrated he had a faith in God. He says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. He said, you see that person is justified. He says, you see that a person is justified in the eyes of man by what he does and not by faith alone. See, that, that can be misread. He says, you see that a person is justified in the eyes of men by what he does and not simply faith alone. What was James simply saying? How do I know if this guy is justified by faith? Just watch what he does. Does that make sense? Just watch what he does. Visibly, visibly what he does. All right, jump down to 226, James 226. Last verse, we'll get, off, gotta get out of here. He says, as the body without a spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know what he's saying? He's saying a body without a heartbeat is dead. A faith without a heartbeat is dead. What's the heartbeat of our faith? That we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. It would change the way I talk. It would change the way I walk. It would change the way I care. It would change the way I show compassion. It would change the way I give. It would change the way I serve. Does that make sense? There ought to be an outward visible evidence of an inward change. James and Paul did not contradict each other. Paul was wanting to know how I'm saved between me and God, faith alone. James asked the question, how can we tell if someone has been saved? You can see it with your eyes. God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for the opportunity just to study your word, and read your word. God, my prayer for every man in this room, first and foremost, that there's one here that's never trusted your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, that today they would put that faith into action and receive him as Savior and Lord. For those who are saved, God, I pray that we would leave here today given visible evidence that we're not fake, that we're real. And that we would shine the brightest light of God's grace on everybody we come into contact with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You guys have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.